0: Welcome to this, uh, this week's episode. Yeah, when we say this week, like we actually do this every week. Welcome to this episode <laughs> of Sapeira Day. We have the absolute pleasure of of having my friend Andres join us today. He is he's kind of a big deal. Um, <laughs> he uh, him and I actually met oddly enough on Twitter several years ago um he was one of the first like fellow libertarians i was i started to follow on there um and you know we eventually met in person got to know each other it's it's been real so uh welcome andres how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well uh, thanks for having me on. I'm definitely not a big deal. We're <laughs> just gonna nip that right in the bud. not yet You well, <laughs>
0: <laughs> seem like a big deal um
1: but yeah, no, I'm happy to be here. Happy to support the podcast, and you know, hopefully, hopefully, this is the episode that takes off. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, if if interviewing uh, Joe Jorgensen didn't do it, I don't know if interviewing you is going to do it.
1: Oh <laughs> well, yeah, you, know, that, that, you could have interviewed Gary Johnson four four years ago, and you still wouldn't do it because oh, <laughs> everyone's no. like, oh man, that, that, that. The worst part about being a libertarian is meeting other libertarians because it's like. Oh yeah, you are not libertarian enough, and that like I, I hold the same oh, bias. I hold the same bias. I yeah. am like, oh yeah, you are not libertarian enough, hell yeah, But no, you are not libertarian enough. So yeah, I'm yeah. not surprised that no, no one's one no <laughs> one's a real yeah. libertarian.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah, the the infighting is just ridiculous. I definitely want to talk more about that. But first off, we love to ask our guests what was your journey to libertarianism? Do you call yourself big L libertarian, small L libertarian? How would you get there? Yeah, good
1: question. Good question. I I actually do make that distinction whenever I do discuss politics with people. I say I am both a big L libertarian and a small L libertarian. I am a registered member of the Libertarian Party, um, the National Party, and I am also someone who believes in the libertarian ideology. Um, And I guess the, the journey started back in... 2011 2010 2011 um that's when i went to college and i i was a poli sci major i took my first uh, political ideologies class and we went over just kind of like all of the big political ideologies from you know you know classic classical liberalism all the way to you know socialism communism all these like economic and political systems um and i learned the term libertarianism and we had to read uh, a bunch of uh, excerpts around it and i'm like wow i really identify with this i was this is this is at a point where you know i as a human being, I'm changing from being in the Bronx and being in this like, you know, hyper liberal environment. And it's like, man, this really doesn't make sense to me, but I guess, you know, because my mom is doing it, my uncles are doing it. Then I went to college and, you know, you start questioning those things. And then I took this class and there was a name for it. I'm like, okay, yeah, libertarianism. That makes sense. Like I, I subscribe to this. This is what I mm-hmm. believe in. Um, and then that's when, uh, so there was the election in what, 2012, right? The timeline's right, right? 2012, that's when uh, Gary Johnson. Was for-
2: yeah,
1: was that the first Gary Johnson run? 2012. I actually don't know.
2: That was the second Ron Paul run, I
1: think. Okay. I
0: was going to say, I know Ron Paul is in there.
1: Okay. I- Gary I- Johnson was the yeah, that's okay. when he
0: got the nom. He may have ran for the nomination in 2012.
1: Yeah, I don't Because that, that is- was when I learned about Gary Johnson at least, because. And okay. I was like reading up on the party itself. And that was the first presidential election I voted in. You know, I remember voting for the Libertarian. And I was like kind of when I like the more I read about it, the more I engaged with people uh, in college that claim to be libertarians. You know, I kind of like, yeah, this is like these are my kind of people. Like, yes, there's a lot of infighting, but overall, like the overarching themes, we're all kind of on the same page. With those people, I can't say for all libertarians, but with those libertarians that I met, we were all on the same page on a lot of things. Um, and yeah, that's when I was like, yeah, I'm a libertarian. Like, I registered for the party, um, made sure to register for the state party. Uh, when I moved to Massachusetts, I registered for the state party there. And yeah, so, that's, so now I tell everyone I am a libertarian.
0: Okay. So it sounds like near the, the beginning of that, you kind of have these ideas already there, you just didn't have the word for it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So growing up, was there kind of a, a lot of, of conflict growing up where you did, or did it not really come up much?
1: Um, Not too much because, you know, keep it in mind, like I grew up low-income housing, public housing. I went to public school. I'm in New York City, one of the, you know, the most, you know, liberal state or cities in the country. Um, so it was, I was surrounded by it, but being – at least for me, and you know, maybe you guys don't want me to bring race into this so early, but bringing race into no, it, it really. <laughs> um, bringing race into it, it's like you know, I'm looking, you know, I'm I'm in my history classes. I was in my AP government class, and we're learning about all these systems and how the American government, you know, has literally terrorized people of color for so long, mm-hmm. and. Fast forward to where I was then, you know, 2006 to 2010, I'm in high school and everyone's like, Yeah, you know, you got to vote for this person to do this. And I'm like, It sounds like government is the problem. Like, this, like, that is the underlying problem for all of our problem is the concept of government. Um, So I was always already questioning it. And then folks would be like, Oh, yeah, you know, like socialism, this and that and the other. I'm like, You know what? I think on paper, socialism does sound good, but we're seeing what a big government does to people and socialism is taking and amplifying it times a thousand. That just logically does not add up for me Um, seeing what's going on now. uh, So I just like, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to subscribe to that idea. I don't think I'm a Democrat. I don't think I'm a Republican. There has to be something else, but you know, I just kind of, being, maybe in my experience, being a libertarian, once I do know the, the name of it, it's easy for me to fit into any conversation. If I'm in a group of conservatives and they're talking about something, there's stuff that they're going to say that I'm going to agree with. So I can just latch on to that. Like, oh, yeah, shoot, of course. Yeah. Second Amendment rights. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Things like that. But then, you know, when I'm with liberals and they're like, yeah, you know, immigration policy, I'm like, yeah, no, I agree with that. We should have lax, more lax immigration policies and stuff like that. So I was able to kind of blend in. Um, on that front to so it, there wasn't a lot of conflict before I knew what the term was. And then after I finally like learned what libertarianism was, I kind of just was able to blend in and eat it. And then people right. are like, you're a libertarian? I'm like, yes, I, I am a libertarian. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. Um, nice. I, I like how you described yourself as a small L and a big L libertarian because, a lot of small l libertarians will 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 hear that and they'll be like, You know oh, you can't be a big l libertarian at the same time i think honestly yeah. both both viewpoints <clears throat> i think both viewpoints have have uh, helpful helpful qualities about them you know i think they they can both teach and educate yeah so.
0: I was, I was thinking about this early, earlier today, actually, unrelated to this podcast because, you know, I hate myself and love to think about this type of shit just when I'm driving. Um, I was thinking about how libertarians are so removed or ostracized from the system there will be a group of people who will be like politically engaged, but then at the same time not vote. They will advocate for breaking the duopoly, but then be the first to criticize their, their own party's candidate. And, and it's interesting because th- there is this weird line that they have to walk. And I feel like Joe Jorgensen, I feel like it's a little bit more pronounced with her than it was with Gary Johnson. Because even, what, a few months ago when she tweeted, um, it's not enough to be not racist, you have to be anti-racist. I mean, her libertarians went after her because she took they took that as like her feeding into this social justice far left ideology without actually just like taking that on its own as value as a value that should appeal to libertarians, but then can also appeal using the language of the left can also appeal to the left. So they'll, they'll simultaneously support a candidate, attack that candidate, and then it's essentially up in the air as to whether or not they'll even vote. And, like, you know, I have for years now advocated for, I mean, in, in some way essentially advocated for not voting. Um, I think m- more people need to admit that they shouldn't vote <laughs> because they're not actually informed. Right. Um, should there be any kind of like test or something? No, definitely not. But like individuals may reconsider whether or not they're actually form informed before they vote. But then libertarians, in order to get somebody in the office, they have to vote. And they're also the least likely to vote. So where you know, you said that you voted before, so we at least know that much. But but what are your thoughts on that? And what are your thoughts of maybe? Uh, how Joe Jorgensen or other libertarian candidates can kind of appeal to the more anarchist side of the party and the more activist side of the party,
1: yeah no good question so i I'm a big I'm proponent a... of not voting <laughs> yes. um, I tell all the time I tell people all the time like don't like you don't have to vote like there's yeah. you know on my like i said i'm on I'm, I have a beer twitter account, I talk mostly about beer but everyone else is talking about politics and i'm just like oh i guess i gotta chime in and i'm like you don't have to vote it's like oh these people like you don't get it like you know all the terrible hot takes you don't get to say anything if you don't vote and then the outcome isn't what you like nope doesn't work that way oh you have to vote um okay you're saying and you have to go out and vote. but what if i vote for the person that you don't want me to vote for like you're that's flawed on its own um this idea that i owe you a vote because you know like Right now, talking about the current election, everyone's like, well, you know, if you don't vote for Biden, you're throwing your vote away. You're voting for Trump. It's like, no, I don't owe Joe Biden or the Democratic Party my vote just because you don't like Donald Trump. Right. I'm going to vote either for nobody because I'm just like, fuck the whole field. And that's that is a political yeah. statement in, in itself. And I think it speaks yeah. more to the state of affairs. If people are not voting, then voting for someone else because at the end of the day you're not going to vote you're not going to go to the ballot and say i'm voting for joe biden but i hate that i'm doing that i'm voting for donald trump but i hate that i'm doing that it's a a vote is a vote and that's it and when they read the numbers it's gonna be like oh okay they joe biden got x amount of votes donald trump got x amount of votes they're not it it doesn't matter how you felt in in the in the in the in the at the ballot box but if you don't vote that's a bigger statement it's like okay you didn't vote something there's something there you didn't like the candidates yeah. you you know you didn't have access to voting like there's all of these other issues that not voting highlights i think um, so yeah, I'm a big yeah. proponent of just not voting if you don't feel like the person – like the names on the, on the ballot represent how you feel the ideal government should look like, like regardless of who that is. If you're a socialist, libertarian, liberal, conservative, if you don't like what's on the ballot, then don't vote, in my opinion. It's going to speak more volume to the issues. For the libertarian candidate, uh, Joe Jorgensen in this case – or any candidate at any level, I think a lot of it needs to be at the party level. I don't think there's much a candidate can do if the support system isn't supporting them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it comes from like just the messaging of the party. I think there needs to be a lot of education internally for the – for the for the base, you know, like I get emails from the Libertarian Party all the time and it's always like we need money and it's like how about you like send me an email telling me like the history of Libertarian politics or something like that. Like how about an educational email or a video or something um, because the there are people out there that don't know this information, you know. And I think once people are more educated, so you mentioned like the more anarchist side of things. It's like anarchists aren't libertarians. Like there are two ideas. They're like levels. Like libertarians are here, and then an anarchist is like here in terms of how much government they want to exist. You know, like a libertarian by name, you're agreeing that there's some form of government that still exists in some capacity, just smaller. Mm -hmm. And anarchist by name, you know, for a long time I thought anarchy meant chaos because that's how everyone's like. He means chaos. Anarchy just means absence of government. That's Mm -hmm. all it means. It doesn't – and we've been so conditioned to think that uh, absence of government means chaos. Now the two terms are synonymous, but that's not what that means. It just means no government. But as a libertarian, I look at anarchists and I'm like, you know what? I think you have something there, but – and Emily likes to point this out. Emily's my girlfriend. She likes to point it out because she's not a libertarian. She We agree on a lot of things, but she's not a libertarian. But she's like, aren't people just going to form a collective and kind of govern themselves? I'm like, you're right. And that's why I'm a libertarian is that there is a collective that's going to come forth. It's, right. all about, it's all about setting the boundaries better. Um, so that's the difference. So an anarchist shouldn't be considered a libertarian and vice versa because they want ultimately different things. So I think the Libertarian Party, one, needs to educate on what libertarianism is um, as an ideology, what that would look like in an ideal world if we are elected into all of these offices at whatever level, you know, at your local level all the way to the federal level. Um, it's explaining what these other ideologies are. Maybe that's how we do attract these other folks. Is that we say, "Hey, we understand what anarchy is. You know, it's not chaos or whatever. It is just an absence of government. We don't agree with it, but this is what how we can kind of fit into that." Uh, and I just, you know, and it's it's something that I also preach in beer. It's just education is always going to be key to driving any sort of engagement. in my And that's just my opinion on it. I just, from experience in beer specifically, if I teach you about this beer history, taste profile, whatever, and you are a little bit interested and I can latch onto that, then that person now likes the beer. If I am a libertarian candidate and I can get you interested in some aspect of libertarianism and also tie it back to how we can work with you while being still different from you, I think that's how you'll gain some traction cuz the foundation is there we the the two major parties are already doing that you know people are voting for Joe Biden and they don't support Joe Biden people are going to vote for Donald Trump and they don't necessarily support Donald Trump but there's something there that they do support and those those parties have just the resources to kind of exploit that it's like Donald Trump is going to you know drop your taxes he's not but let's say he, <laughs> Donald Trump is going to drop your taxes and here's how that looks you might not like his policy on immigration, but you don't like paying taxes. So let's right. let's meet there. And yeah, I don't know.
0: Well, that's well, what when I think is so interesting about the Libertarian Party is that it doesn't seem like there is a, a middle road like that with so many Libertarian voters, which is upsetting. I mean, I remember in the the 2016 convention before, or it was one of the debates before Gary Johnson was officially even nominated. One of the questions posed was, um, "Would do you support driver's licenses or something?" Like oh that. yeah. And Gary Johnson was one of the people that was like, "I like the idea of showing that you have some competence driving," and he was fucking booed. I mean, <laughs> I get, I get the boo if you are, you know, my one principle is total elimination of government outside the basic necessities. And therefore, anything beyond that is boo-worthy. I understand that. But on the other hand, there are so many other things that need to be addressed before we start talking about getting rid of the fucking DMV. I mean, we need to demilitarize police. We need to end the drug war. We need to bring troops home. And and the fact that the question was even raised about fucking driver's licenses is just stupid. But then, in addition to that, and Joe Jorgensen's brought this up in a number of ways with the way she addresses environmental disaster. I mean, the fact that the government has capped liability, but then also insures these companies that are destroying the environment, means that there's no incentive for anybody at any level to change anything. Meanwhile, if a private company had to insure, you know, BP drilling in the Gulf, there'd have to be a lot more strict regulation privately, on the private side, but there'd need to be a lot more strict oversight because if an insurance company had to pay out billions of dollars because of an oil spill, you can bet there'd be a lot more accountability. But people hear, oh, deregulation, uh, protecting our environment, why do the Republicans, it won't even be libertarians, why do the Republicans want to destroy our environment? And, like, that's not even the same discussion. Um, but, yeah, now we're getting a little too far down that rabbit hole. But either way, it seems like libertarians will just, like, go at each other's throat over fucking driver's licenses. So there's obviously this huge disconnect because Gary Johnson tried to appeal. It's almost like he took for granted the libertarian vote and then he tried to appeal to those liberals and to those conservatives who largely agree with some of what libertarians espouse. I mean, he even pitched libertarianism as the combination of the best ideas, which it really isn't. I mean, it's its it's its own ideology. Um, But, you know, in an effort to draw people in, he tried to connect it to as many people. And so, if it didn't work for Gary Johnson, I mean, what will work for any libertarian candidate?
1: Well, I think... With libertarianism, they just need a PR. Well, <laughs> and obviously I'm a PR guy, so that's where my mind lives. But you know, one of the things I face, like I'm being not white. When I say I'm a libertarian, people are a little bit more willing to listen than versus another – like a white person saying I'm a libertarian because the – the connotation of a white person being libertarian meets something entirely different. You know, these, you know, these book boys, these proud boys, you know, these, you know, these, these far right groups, they also say they're libertarians. They're not, but that's what they say they are. And they're the ones that get the most media play. So to say that you're a libertarian is usually equated with that. So the conversation for a lot of people just ends right there. Um, So that it, it needs to Like that education element comes into it again is educating the masses, and you could do that with some PR bumps. Um, having I guess more sane sounding folks on camera saying things that are (laughs) inherently you mean not
0: half naked people running around the stage at a major convention.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of John McAfee in a lot of ways, but that's not the guy I want
0: <laughs> Being <the> Herman, <laughs> <Herman> Supreme Hill, <laughs> yeah, the like, like These are all people that I know on
1: paper like, I'm, mean, yeah, you know what, I have no problem with them but for what the movement needs in terms of growth, mm-hmm. it's not those folks that need someone that can present the ideology a little bit more in a more palatable, palatable way. Yeah. Um, So I think that's that's the big thing is just PR, good PR.
2: The thing about libertarians is just the most most libertarians that I come across, we all have just such different ways of explaining our our opinions and worldview that it's just like it never sticks with anyone. I feel like you know, feel like people just like it took Ron Paul, it took Ron Paul to really articulate the message. I think. Like ever since then, like we haven't had someone that could speak as eloquently as as him, as far as the politicians go.
0: So I'm just yeah. thinking of Gary Johnson sticking his tongue out of the reporter and trying to talk. Yes, yeah. not as eloquent.
1: <laughs> not, I guess <laughs> not. Not quite. And that's the thing is, like Gary Johnson, had he been a member of the the candidate for the Republican Party or the the Democratic Party, he would have. That would have been a non-issue because at the same time when Gary Johnson is running and he's flubbing about Aleppo and stuff like that, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were doing similar shit. They just – and I apologize if I can't curse on the podcast. I'll be the only one. Uh, Oh, no. it's No problem. I just said – Okay. (laughs) The – the libertarian party is just not afforded that credibility yet where the candidate the like that like the face of the party at the presidential level he can't make those mistakes you know maybe in 50 years when the party's worth a damn maybe but like right now you need someone that's going to hit it just right and you mentioned Ron Paul it's at the end of the day Ron Paul is a seasoned politician he was right. someone that been doing this for a long time he was a republican for a long time so he has that that he has that room for error if he needed it versus gary johnson while yes he was a successful governor for two terms in new mexico it was new mexico yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's, not a, it's not a major state when it comes to you know you know like i, I couldn't name the governor of new mexico new mexico but i can name the governor of california you know like stuff like that no. um, so you need someone to to. It doesn't have to be someone popular in sense of like, or someone well known. It just needs to be someone that can just hit the mark every time because that yeah. that room forever is so narrow. Yeah. Uh, so narrow. Yeah. yeah.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at. It's just like no yeah. one knows how to explain it. Yeah. The elevator pitch is different every time.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so go, going off what Aaron just said on this podcast we We pride ourselves in having a kind of a wide variety of guests, you know we have a lot of libertarians we've also had what you know someone who's described themselves as a leninist marxist um yeah, So that. <laughs> yeah we him and I talked we we had a long episode was actually our most listened to episode was was on uh libertarian socialism.
2: we had two parts,
0: yeah, we had two parts that first part was actually our most listened to episode ever and <clears throat> Uh, it, it was it was interesting because I generally, especially over the last year or two, found myself being pushed more towards libertarian socialism versus anarcho capitalism. And what I what what I find most interesting is well, about with the very beginning of that journey, even realizing that such a thing existed. Um, but then also, like realizing that so much of it just seems to be a difference in language, because some of—I mean—the word socialism is obviously incredibly charged. The way anarchy is. So people hear anarcho-capitalism, they feel a lot of feelings. They hear libertarian socialism, they feel a lot of feelings. Um, without actually like breaking these things down and trying to process what they are and what they mean. And a lot of the well-meaning socialists I know, I feel like are libertarian socialists. You know, they love the idea, except when it comes to like the 1%, 1%. They love the idea of people voluntarily helping each other. They love the idea of a system coming together in which health care is just provided as a right. These are the same people that are also going after Police unions are going after military, militarized police. So, you know, with with one, in one breath, they're saying, oh, we need to provide this social program, this social program, and this social program through taxation. And with the other breath, the next breath saying, and the very soldiers that we're using to collect these taxes, to pay for these social programs, we also want to defund because... They are built on an unjust system. So it's interesting because when you tell them that, it doesn't seem to click. They just want the programs without any of the conflict that can come from that. So my question for you is, well, first, what are your thoughts on libertarian socialism? And two, where do you see yourself falling within the spectrum that is libertarianism?
1: Yeah, um, I I was talking to someone on Twitter recently, and he's, he's a described socialist. Um, I told him, I was like, I'm not a socialist, but I would vote if, – if there were three choices and I had to vote and it was a Democrat or Republican and someone that was like a hardline socialist, I'd vote for the socialist first before I vote for the other two yeah. because – not because of like how they line up with my libertarianism, but because before I bec- before I'm a libertarian, before I'm anything, I acknowledge that the system needs to change. Right. And voting for a Democrat Republican, you're not going to get that change. Voting for something completely different, you might get that change. Right. Uh, so just voting for the option for legitimate change is always going to be the, like, what I want most. Um, and with socialism, like I said early on, On paper, I think it sounds good. It sounds, you know, altruistic. It sounds like it's for the people, all of these things. And I don't think, I'm not one of those people that's going to be like, oh, so you're a socialist, you're this, that, and the other, you're a communist, you're this, that, and the other. Well, first off, I know that socialism and and communism are two different things. So, yay me. Um, (laughs) Because a lot of folks just, you'd say that they use the term interchangeably. Um, My my issues come from i and backtracking a little i agree also that when you know these hardline socialists will say real socialism has never existed in the world you know because everyone points to the ussr everyone points to cuba everyone points here and it's always like you know some sort of like leninist stalinist marxist whatever it's not real socialism and i and i will yield that to them it's not i agree just like i i say libertarianism has never exists they have a right to say socialism as it in its real form has never exists so acknowledging that it hasn't existed in its real form yet on paper even though it sounds good based on what's actually happening in the world with abuse of power i think socialism is one of the ideologies that Condenses the most power into one entity, and that's why I w- like libertarian socialism wouldn't it doesn't line up with me because I just don't want any like that's that's why I'm a libertarian I just don't want any central point of power with too much power I want it to be easy to reel it back in you know you know pay for a military fund whatever the fuck and then <laughs> that's right. it not you know all of these other things. On the capitalism side of it, I also I, I describe myself as a capitalist, and I'm also someone that says that real capitalism hasn't really existed. It's we, right. we've seen we've seen some bastardized version of capitalism since the idea was conceived.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, what capitalism ultimately lacks, what people who call themselves capitalists ultimately lack, is the compassion element. You know, people get rich and then they just want to stay rich, and that's their <laughs> only focus. They lack that compassion. Honestly, I don't know the solution to give them that compassion to fix that cultural part of it, which is that because that's how we are as Americans, at least. It's like, I'm going to get mine and then, it, you know, fuck everyone else. I'm going to get mine. So I don't know how to shift that because I think once we shift that, all of those other ideas that people have sprouted from from the capitalist ideals, like trickle down economics and all that, that would work because people are com- you need to be compassionate for those things to actually work. And I acknowledge that that part is missing. But I, as a person who is a described capitalist, I, as someone who grew up poor, I see it as the only real way for me to move up the ladder it's the only one that gives me a real set of rules to follow which is you know kind of work hard you know kiss some ass uh, and you can move up and i'm seeing that and me personally i can say i am seeing that you know like i'm i I live in a condo in chicago now i'm someone that grew up in public housing in the bronx like that's there are 2500 people like me in the bronx right now that this would seem like an, an unattainable goal so me personally reaching, I'm like, okay, there is a way. And then I like to tell myself, if I ever did make it into the millionaire billionaire bracket, I'm gonna keep the door open for those behind me. I'm gonna try to get them through. And that's just the that's the step that's missing. You know, you hear the oh Bill Gates is gonna (laughs) donate all his money before he dies. It's like Why don't you just do it now? Like you, you're a billionaire. Like you, you were worth eighty something billion dollars. You can hold on to one billion and fix some problems with the other eighty five billion dollars. You just don't want to. You know, you want to. You know, it's that greed that's just culturally existing within us. So for me, on the spectrum, I think I am more on the capitalist side of the spectrum than I am on the socialist side but that being said it's not like I'm not villainizing the socialist side and if I saw that as a you know someone brought me like a real plan like hey this is what this could look like as a libertarian socialism these are the policies yada 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 we see your concerns here about too much power but these are actually this is actually how that would look like I would gladly support that as well but just based on the world as it is in my own world view I am more on that capitalist side of the spectrum
0: right. Well I, I love when like someone like Warren Buffett or Bill Gates talks about how or Abigail Disney they don't their taxes aren't high enough and they need to have their tax brackets adjusted, they need to have their taxes raised. First off, you can pay more taxes if you want. Second, why is it that people think the only way to do good in society is to pay taxes? I mean, the amount of money, the the number of charities and nonprofits in this country is astounding. But the number of those nonprofits that are in need, especially this year with COVID, the number of people that are in need because of of, of certain issues with health care and lack of access to health care, there is plenty of opportunity for these one percenters to assist other people by their own choice and not through coercion via taxation. They just want to look good, talk about taxes, and have them raised because they know they can afford them.
1: Yeah. And going back to the whole PR thing, that's just, uh, I don't want to use the word PR anymore, but that's just the, the era that we're living in. It's just like this one liner era where everyone just say a buzzword and that's it. Like, that's all that. Like, taxes, yeah, more taxes, less taxes. It's like it's more complex than that. When people, when I, I, it's one of my least favorite arguments when i because I don't like paying an income tax. I pay too much money in income taxes. Yeah. I want to pay less than non, none at all. But
0: we pay more than I get, Donald Trump. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah.
1: 750 That's more than my mortgage. I mean, yeah. I pay more in mortgage than I pay in taxes. Yeah. But. But like when people say that, they're like, oh, yeah, like what you said, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, They're like, I need someone to charge me more in taxes. But then also just like the common man is saying like, oh, yeah, we need to tax the rich. That's not the problem. The U.S. government has more money than it knows what to do with. The problem is if you really want to raise taxes, you're like everyone needs everyone in the 1% has to pay a 50% income tax. Guess what? 50, almost 50 cents of each dollar is going to go to the military immediately. Mm-hmm. So you're you're funding more mil. You're expanding the funding on military when you're saying you want more taxes. You're expanding the funding of all these system, ICE, all those things. Those are all going to be more funded. All those things that people tend to hate when that also say they want more taxes. All of those things get more funded when you pay more taxes. The problem isn't that we don't pay enough tax as at any level. It's that the government doesn't know how to allocate funds properly that is the issue and everyone just completely whiffs on it everyone's just like no 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 more taxes is the problem i'm like "Do you know why you get a tax refund every whatever april may whatever It's because the government took so much money from you, they literally didn't know what to do with it. That is that is the refund. That is why you get a check back from the government. It's not the government being nice. It is they took so much money from you and they didn't have anywhere to put it. That is all it is. You're being overtaxed if you're getting an income tax check every year. You're paying too much in taxes. The government doesn't know what to do with it. Those should be the new buzzwords, not more taxes, less taxes. It's really allocate the funds better. That's what you should be demanding from all of your politicians because if you want to defund police, if you want to defund at a federal level all these federal police, if you want to end the drug war, guess what? Paying more taxes is not the way to do it unless you get them to shutter all of these programs first or reduce the funding of all these programs first. And then sure. you'll see, like, oh shit, sure, there is more money. There it does free up some capital.
2: <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. The problem is just so many people are just so ready to give whoever's next in line for the throne just however much power they need to fix whatever problems they need them they need to be fixed, basically. You yeah. know? Yeah. Is I, that was kinda clunky the way I put that, but well, it's like the
0: growth in the executive branch. I mean all of these you know, Bush doing this, Bush doing that, well, that's all bad. But then Obama, executive order this, military action that, well, that's fine because he's on our side. Yeah. And people don't well, take the principal approach to those those balances of
1: power. Well, that, that that's the thing that gets me all the time talking about Trump. Obviously, Trump is president now. He comes up a lot. I don't like the guy as a person, like. The dude is the dude is stupid. Like he,
0: yeah.
1: he's not a bright guy. You know, I think his kid, his daughter seems smart. His kid seem his son seemed dumb. Um,
0: Which daughter? Probably, Funny, no uh, one like, thought Tiffany. I bet everyone knew you. Yeah. <laughs> <Monica>. yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Like she, she seems like a more business adept person, just based on what I've seen on TV. Yeah, but. When people talk about Donald Trump, they're like, oh, he's a fascist. He's this. I'm like, that's another term that people just throw around. Will he be a fascist? Maybe. Like if if he lives up to his rhetoric about like not wanting to transition power, if he loses the election, which he probably won't lose the election anyway.
0: Yeah.
1: People are like, he's a fascist. Donald Trump isn't operating outside of the scope of what already existed for the executive branch like yeah. you like you just alluded to or like you just mentioned Dylan every president had like obama had those powers bush had those powers post 9/11 all of the presidents post 9/11 have had the same pretty much the yeah. same executive power you just don't like what he's saying and it's clouding everything else the dude is not operating outside of any sort of scope of the existing powers if you want to argue that the president as a role has too much power yeah i'm with you there but saying that Donald Trump specifically is acting in some weird way, he's acting within the rules that we've allowed for Barack Obama eight years, for George Bush eight years, for Bill Clinton. Well, there's a change, obviously, because Bill Clinton was president pre 9 11 and there right. was a whole lot of changes post 9 But still, like most of those powers still exist today, too. He's not doing anything outside of the right. norm. And
0: what's worse is that even even outside the norm, even some of the stuff he's doing that Obama did is now a problem or is only being discussed as a problem under Trump. And I know that was that was one of the things I saw some people saying, especially libertarians, if there's one thing that good that, that one good thing that comes out of a Trump presidency is that people will see just how much horrible shit the federal government's doing, how much is involved in stuff because under Obama no one was talking about caged children the way they're talking about now unless you're like Glenn Greenwald, you're not you you weren't talking about military action and drone strikes. You know, there there was way too much stuff going under the radar t- to the point where there are people today who unironically very seriously say Barack Obama had no scandals. I mean, and obviously someone like that just isn't being intellectually honest. You can't even argue with a person like that. But, you know, to empathize with them, that was not talked about the way it is with Trump. Everything that Trump does is treated like a major scandal to the point where now, even when there is a major scandal... Twenty four hour news cycle, no one talks about it two days later. Even if it is like a real issue that people need to talk about, need to be aware of. But one last question before we transition from politics. Um, you're gonna you're gonna hate this question, but I, I I I want you to try to answer it. Let's say you had to pick between Trump and Biden. <laughs> Who would you pick? you I know. Who would you pick and you know, if you had the option to to not vote? Like I want to hear it, you know, if you had to pick, who would it be? But then also if you either could pick or just not vote, what would your explanation be behind not voting and how would you get other people to to join you in your, your abstention?
1: <laughs> Man, this is a tough one. <laughs> Trump. See, I think, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to share this podcast when it comes out on my social channels and I'm hoping some folks will listen. And if they get to this part, they're probably going to listen to like the first part of the answer. All right. Like, yeah, fuck off. My follower count is going to go down to zero, um, <laughs> but I would pick Trump and yeah. here's why. Over the last four years, realistically speaking, if you are being, like you mentioned, intellectually honest, not much has actually changed in terms of the power of the government. Not much has actually changed. The children in cages, everyone likes to talk about those camps were built under the Obama administration and some under the Bush, if I'm not mistaken. The bounty thing that people said about, oh, yeah, Russia was doing the bounties, that started pre-Trump. These yeah. are all things that started. It. So, like you mentioned, a lot of this stuff is getting a lot more media attention because of Trump. So maybe there is a benefit to that. If we want to believe Trump's rhetoric, which he's been a president of just rhetoric, everything he says is just he says it. Yeah. No bark. I mean, no bite to his bark. If he is. If he does want to act upon his rhetoric, if he were to lose to Biden or if it's close or whatever, there is a chance that it does turn into that fascist – government that everyone fears that's happening right now there is that chance if he decides to actually act upon his rhetoric and if he doesn't want to transition uh that doesn't want a smooth transition of power there is that possibility i don't think that might it will happen but if there is that possibility him winning just gives us four more years of him and then he's gone and then we move on with our lives
0: Yeah.
1: the last and in the last four years it's just like me as a person a, a, a male of color you know who who's dating a white woman who gets to see a lot of the different groups affected by these things, ultimately I don't think much is going to change in the next four years. That said, you know, obviously with this whole Supreme Court thing, things can change, but his last two justices haven't been the terrible guys. I
0: love Neil Gorsuch. I'll be the first to say it. I don't like Brett Kavanaugh, but like Neil is actually a really great justice.
1: Yeah, Brett Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh just looks like he's a piece of shit. Like, that dude, yeah. it's just like he, he should have he like probably failed out of law school. Right yeah, now. honestly, like, guy, I mean,
0: if they hadn't gone after, like, Christine Blasey Ford, if one person in those hearings had brought up his terrible record on the Fourth Amendment, I would have been like, all right, get him out of here. But no, they decided to make a spectacle of some rape charge. But really, the issue with someone like him is just how horrible he is on certain civil liberties.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah, Brett Kavanaugh sucks as a human being. But, yeah, Neil Gorsuch, he's been voting with, like, Sotomayor and Kagan on a lot more decisions yeah. that people thought he wasn't going to vote on them with. Yeah. he's You know, his records show that he was going that way, but it was sensationalized. If, um, what's her name, Barrett, Coney, Coney Barrett. Uh, yeah, Coney
0: Barrett, Amy Coney
1: Barrett, I think. Yeah. Um, if she is... As bad as they say, maybe she might be like this, but you know, who yeah. knows? Who knows like, I, I can't, I can't make that prediction. Um, but ultimately, based on just what's happened so far, I don't think the next four years are going to be that bad, at least. Um, because you know, people are like, "Oh, well, if you want to, you know, defund the police, blah blah blah." It's like police brutality has been an issue long before Trump.
2: Yeah.
1: Long before. the first fucking police shooting that I heard about was when I was like five years old, Amadou Diallo got shot like 40 fucking times by the NYPD and Bill Clinton was fucking president, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, it was like near the end of his term uh, or maybe early Bush term. Police brutality and then, you know, go back before then, you know, you got fucking the LA riots from the Rodney King case. Police yeah. brutality is an issue. Whoever is going to be president next, Trump or Biden it's, we're probably going to still deal with that oh, it, yeah. to be honest, because they're you know the one same thing Trump said during the fucking debate was Biden wrote the bill that made all these like that, that criminalized most things. at least yeah. he wrote that bill. So like, you think that guy's going to come in and then Kamala Harris is VP? Oh yeah, the head cop, the head cop of California is going to yeah. is going to be no, get on my face, no. Never. So in that front, those issues aren't going to be resolved either way. So it's going to be it's that struggle is still going to continue regardless. Yeah. So if that's your that's your deciding factor. No, you, you throw it away because that's not realistic right now. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of those, a lot of the issues are going to like continue, but they all of these issues are have extended for a long time have exist have existed for a long time. Um, you know, I'm hoping for a resolution in some capacity, whether it's a Supreme Court decision for, you know, police brutality, you know, trans rights, all these things. I'm hoping that these things get resolved. But unfortunately, the way that the government functions, it can be, you know, gay marriage wasn't was a top hot button topic for 50 years before someone decided to do something about it. Yeah. Like, yeah, like it's these issues are going to persist regardless of who wins. I think with Trump. Just kind of piggybacking off what you said, he is high. His the the media attention does highlight a lot of things that maybe once he's out of office, people might want to change these things. Who knows though. But yeah. yeah, and how would I defend not voting? I just tell people don't fucking vote. Like I try to, I try to come at it from a, I try to come at it from a logical perspective. It's like you don't. There's no the anyone saying like oh if you don't vote you don't have a say if you don't vote you're throwing like you're technically voting for this other person i'm like that yeah. doesn't make sense because no. i'm going to vote for your person if i did vote i think it's just understanding like that if you truly believe that the vote has power then not voting also has power because it speaks more volume to what is going on in the world and yeah it does suck that even if don't like even if the and it usually is that the non the no votes win the election right technically oh yeah um, <laughs> technically you know like i wish there was a rule it's like oh fuck like we didn't get x amount of votes so we gotta do it all over again i right. wish that was a thing but right it isn't
2: um i feel like that's, that's part of the reason why they keep trying you know Every year they're like, you gotta go vote. You have to go vote because they just want more consent. Yeah. That's how they gain yeah. their power. They just need more consent. Exactly.
0: Yeah, they never say, Hey, get informed and go vote or hey, yeah. make an informed decision. It's always go vote. Just yeah. go vote.
1: Yeah.
0: Go pull your liver.
1: Yeah, exactly, and they like, oh, it's and they just put some candidate's name on that PSA, and boom, this is like that—that's their ad. Yeah, yeah, that I think it speaks more volume to not vote because at the end of the day, like I mentioned earlier, when you do go vote, it, it's you don't get to write down. Joe Biden, but I'd really hate this decision. Fuck that guy, right. but here's my vote for him. It's just a vote for him. And then this just legitimizes them further. If anything, we should be trying to get fewer and fewer people to vote until just nobody goes to vote until actual change comes. Um, that's that's my ideal for the situation. Right. Get everyone to not vote or like get everyone to write a name in or something. I don't know. I don't know. Vote for Kanye West. Don't vote for Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
0: Well, I so when I when I think about that question about if I had to pick between Trump and Biden, it didn't take me too long to come up with an answer. Um, well, as soon as Biden picked a VP, so I'm still a resident of Pennsylvania, and obviously that's more certainly more of a battleground state than Oklahoma. So I know that the last four years haven't been great. They certainly have been haven't been easy for some communities more than me being a you know white guy. But nonetheless, like you had pointed out, there actually hasn't been as much it has not been a catastrophe the way some people said that it would be. A lot of stuff has just continued on per usual. So I don't think Joe Biden's gonna make it four years. Or I don't even know if he plans to. Um You know, I I think there's been a lot of reason to suspect that he's just a safe candidate to ferry in somebody else, that being now Kamala Harris. So, like you said, top cop of California, there is so much reason to despise Kamala Harris. Even liberals have so much reason to despise her. Fuck that bitch. Yeah, her horrible record on criminal justice reform and drug war policy is, is, is just dumbfounding. So, I I consider it paramount to keep Kamala Harris out of the White House. Um, you know, if it was guaranteed she wouldn't become president or couldn't become president, maybe I'd have some other considerations to tend to. But because she's VP, if I had to pick between the two, luckily I don't, but if I had to, I, I would also vote Trump in a state where it might matter. So... That's how I've thought about it. What would your answer be, Aaron?
2: I hate having to pick between. Them. <laughs> I hate it. But no, yeah, I would pick Trump probably just for the memes, you know, just for the entertainment value, and also the truth that he speaks. Um, like I think I mentioned on a previous a previous podcast. Um, like, sure, he's he's crass. He's he shoots from the hip, and he he says whatever the fuck he wants to say, and that upsets a lot of people because oh, the president is supposed to be. Uh, cordial like Barack Obama, you know, bombing people in secret, all that shit. But yeah. but I remember one in- interview, they were talking about uh, some Middle East war, and Trump was just like, oh, no, yeah, we're staying. We're keeping the oil. Yeah. <laughs> like Just like after 18, 17 years of being over there, he just like finally spills the beans, just yeah. in a casual interview, just like the reason we're there is for the oil. And, and yeah. I love that, that at least at least I can see better what's happening with him as president than with with Biden or or Kamala. How yeah. it would be? So that's yeah. what I would say I for my short answer. But I will never vote for either of them. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I I, I think <laughs> I think there is a chance. I said like, oh yeah, Trump is not going to lose a reelection, but I think there is a small chance because one of the things Donald Trump had going for him going into the first election was he didn't have a record. There was nothing to point to, to be like, you know, like just like he called Joe Biden out on 47 years of being a politician and, you know, doing nothing. Yeah. He now has a four year record that people can point to. It's, it's, but there are a lot more tangibles there. Um, and, you know, in a lot of his promises being that they were just rhetoric, he didn't fulfill, you know, all of these jobs he was promising, all of this, all of that. And the wall never got built, all these things. like These are, I don't agree with the man. Right. But I'm just saying he didn't keep any promise to his base that's my opinion. Um, but yeah, no, at the end of the day, it's just like you guys both said, he's the cameras being on him so much more intently than any other president. Recently, he is. He, a lot of truths are coming out indirectly because of that. And once he's out of office, we'll probably be able, you know, once they declassify some stuff, we'll be able to see a lot more that he did, um, whether good or bad, um, but, yeah, ultimately, I don't like the guy. Uh, I don't think he's a good businessman. I'm, also, I'm from New York. He's from New York. Uh, so he can take it personally. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. All
0: right. My, my last question before we wrap up here is super general, but answer it how you want. Tell us about beer. Why do you like beer? Why do I like beer?
1: <laughs> and um, does it have
0: anything to do with your politics?
1: What does
0: it have
1: yeah, anything it? to do with your politics? Oh no, it doesn't. It doesn't. My my beer well, getting into beer was a political choice. Um, I guess I'll just start from the beginning. In college, I was in a fraternity. Uh-huh. lot <laughs> yeah, I drank a lot of beer. <laughs> um, I, lot of beer. I, I set some records in beer drinking. Like I have the record for Edward Forty Hands. Um, oh, I feel like there's another record. Um, I had a friend pass but, out on
2: my floor one time from, from trying it for You did it way too quick. Yeah.
1: yeah. Most people, most people puke like immediately and they like, I think I did it in like 12 minutes. I drank two forties, which without throwing up, um, Ooh. yeah. Um, but I'm also, you know, I'm six at the time I went like two fifty, So yeah. like I was, I, I, I could, my body could handle it. Um, but I, I did drink a lot of beer. Like that was like my social lubricant but I never really thought beyond I just drink beer to drink and be able to talk to people and get over my social anxiety. Um, eventually by senior year of college, I was becoming the guy that drank like the good beer because I would go get Heineken. Um, <laughs> I, I was picking up Heinekens and then I would go drink some Labatt blues because, you know, Labatt, we were so close to the Canadian border. Um, so that was kind of like the the start of those wheels. Um, there was a bar in town that had like what ended up being my first craft beer that I ever had at the time before they sold to Heineken. I had Lagunitas Brown Sugar and I drank it strictly for the ABV. It was a beer that was 10 bucks and it was 9.9% alcohol. <laughs> um, and was, yeah, this is awesome. I'm getting drunk. <laughs> um, then there was another beer from a New York brewery called Three Philosophers. And that was a beer I just liked the flavor too, but I never really, once again, didn't think too much about it fast forward i graduate i go to law school and i was very depressed um because i hated i hated law school i was not prepared i I had been cruising through the education system for years at this point and i get to law school and i'm actually being challenged which i did like but i wasn't making any friends i was not in a part of the country that was a nice part of the country. Like it was Springfield, Massachusetts. Like I think if I would have been law school in Boston, at least it would have been fun. If I was in Springfield, Mass, I just went from home, school, home school, home school, home school, home school, school. I was getting really depressed. My girlfriend at the time lived in Boston, so she wasn't close. So I was by myself a lot and I was just like looking for a like a way to numb these thoughts and pains. And I was like, oh, I remember this beer from college, Three Philosophers. It's a high ABB beer. Like, let me see if I can find it. Um, and I was just going to use that to hide my depression. I was just going to drink. like That was the plan. And I Googled the, the brewery. Uh, I went on their website. I found where they had the beer. And I walked into this shop in uh, East Longmeadow, Massachusetts, called The Beer Shop. Still friends with the owners to this day. Um, not friends, friends, but like we'll engage on social media sometimes. Uh, Rich and Tatiana, I walk in and there's literally thousands of beers on the wall, like literally thousands. Like I did not understand what was happening. I was like, I only know Bud Light, Heineken, like Natty, these like really specific beers. And this guy's like, no, nah, like I have beers from all over the country, all over the world. And he was super friendly and like. Like basically walked me through the like how he had it. He sold individuals, so I didn't have to commit to buying a six pack, any of that. So I made a mix six, and I took them all home. I got to try a bunch of different Belgian beers, which I found out that Three Philosophers was a Belgian style from New York. And I'm like, oh shit! Like this is really good. So then that kind of like it was like I was towing a line. I was still drinking to get drunk, and I was depressed, but I was also learning, and I was becoming a part of a community. Um, so that was kind of. What happened was like I I dropped out of law school. I went to I moved to Boston. I went to grad school at BU and I was like looking for work and I emailed a new beer shop that was opening in Boston and I said, Hey, I don't know much about beer, but I want to learn. Are you hiring? And they were like, Yep. Come in, interview, interview, blah, 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 It was craft beer seller, uh, Fenway at the time, now known as Fenway beer shop. Um, and I worked there. I, I got my level one certified beer server certification, and that's kind of like when the like it really started. Like I got into beer more. I started learning about the history of beer. I learned that you know beer is one of the oldest beverages that humans have ever created. You know, like you know, it, it, the first human civilizations were drinking something similar to beer. You know, a lot of uh, archaeologists would see like a wall. Of, drawings and cave paintings and thought they were just like drinking some like warm liquid it turns out it was beer and they had the straws because um you know they didn't have filters and stuff back then so there's all this gunk in it so they had to use the straw to get to the good part and it was like something similar to beer and I'm learning all this I'm like wow there's history there's culture there's, uh, there's a business element you know now that I'm working in it uh so yeah that was that was kind of it like it, t- it started as this like what could have been a bad thing like me wanting to just drink and then I turned it in. I'm like, no, nah, I can't let it get to that point. So like, now that's how I manage my depression is like, if I know I'm getting depressed, I just stop drinking. Cause I need drinking to still be a fun thing that I enjoy doing. So now I've, I've 180 did. Now it's like a thing that helps me in the sense that I just stopped drinking. And I know that there's something at the end of the tunnel that once I'm not depressed anymore, I can go enjoy a beer with my, with my girlfriend, with my friends, yada, yada, yada. Um, but yeah, so, and I've met a lot of awesome people in beer. Um, yeah, that's that's really it. Yeah, I've learned so I've just learned so much like science. I sucked at science in high school. I learned so much science. I've learned so much about history, which is something I've always loved. I've learned about uh, the cultural elements of beer, and I've met some of my closest friends. Like the the beer I was drinking earlier was from someone who I met on Twitter, similar to how I met Dylan, um, who I didn't meet in Brooklyn when I was back home. Um, in New York, and like this is a guy that I'm really close friends with now. He sent me a case of beer. I've sent people beer. People send me beer. I engage with people. It's helped a lot now during the whole pandemic, where you know, for especially early on, like people weren't going out, you couldn't go out, um, and having these people on social media on what we call "quote unquote" beer Twitter, um. Uh I, like these are friends now. These are people that some of them I haven't met. Like some of them are coming to visit next week from out of state. Um, we know it's a pandemic, but whatever. It's, it's, right. it's at that point, Things are opening up a little bit, and people are being safe and stuff. Um, and people this is a libertarian
0: tested. podcast. You don't have to worry about.
1: You we didn't touch on COVID. Uh, and I don't want to make it political, but like I had, to, I have some strong opinions about this whole thing, right? Like, it, it, That can be, you can invite me back and we'll talk about that. Um, (laughs) But no, I met like beer, beer, beer to me in my mind equals friendship. Like I meet cool people because of beer, Um, whether they work in it, whether it's people that I've just met at the bar that don't work in beer, they just like beer. It's just been it's, – it's, it's, it's a talking point at, at the very least when I'm meeting new people and they find out I know about beer. They're going to ask me questions and I'll ask them things and they're like, oh, I don't really like beer. I'm like, do you like this, this, this? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, you might like this style. And then they'll go and try mm-hmm. and they're like, holy right. shit, that's a beer. What the fuck? That's so good. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so it's just fun. It's, it's 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 It has its problems like any industry, like any system, but it's, it's yeah.
0: fun. Was that that was the beer shop we went to in Boston, right? That Fenway. Yeah, company. yeah, that's
1: I. I can't remember if I still worked there or I had already stopped working there, but yes, that's that is where I took you. If I
0: remember correctly, I think you were still working there, but I'm I might be wrong. Okay. I don't remember. Um, well, the reason the reason I asked if it had anything to do with your politics, it was it was it was like you had said the history behind beer. It's you know similar history behind. All alcohol, behind sugar and behind coffee, um, you know these kinds of stimulants helped to create the modern world to some extent. They were the the backbone of all of, of all of commerce and wealth creation for the longest time. So I didn't know if that combined with the anything to do with the prohibition had anything to do with your love of beer and association with politics. <laughs>
1: no no i actually I, one of the one of my, the things i look forward to once the you know things start normalizing post-covid is living in chicago which was like the epicenter of all of that you know prohibition yeah. black markets i want to learn more about that history yeah. um i've made friends with like that conference i mentioned that i'm going to be um on or working with the uh, Beer Culture Summit uh, is based here in Chicago. And I've met the person who runs it. She's a historian, awesome. And uh, I'm learning about so much history, and she just knows so much about Chicago. And I just look forward to being able to just get up all these bars. Like, oh, yeah, this used to be a speakeasy. Right. Oh, if you go back to the store, you can see where Al Capone used to hang out and stuff. Like, I, I look forward to learning more about that element of it, about the, the political nature of alcohol, because it was yeah. something that. What it didn't factor in, but I do want to know more about it. Yeah, wow,
0: that's awesome. How far? Remind me, how far away is Cicero from Chicago?
1: Cicero, yeah. Uh, from where I live, I live on the south side, mm-hmm. so it's uh, like probably a thirty minute drive. Okay,
0: that's where Al Capone did a lot of his a lot of his ish, right? Out of Cicero. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I, there's probably some really cool speakeasies around there
1: yeah well i went to one uh when i was here last uh that that woman i mentioned who runs the beer culture summit she took me to a place that used to be a funeral home it's now a bar it used to be a funeral that was a speakeasy i'm like oh man just like walking into these places is like so cool and then there's like the oldest bar in chicago standing since the fire um they have a speakeasy that's still open. Like you can go into it. Um, we just have to go on the right date. And obviously, right now it's not the time. Right. But, um, but I want to go there. Like that, that. Like that's such a part of Chicago's like fabric yeah. as a city. And like I just look forward to learning more about all that. Yeah, I think. So I, want to go
0: there. Yes. I think a lot of people when they think of prohibition, they immediately think like Atlantic City, New York City, like port cities but then they forget how big of a port city Chicago is because of their placement along the Great Lakes where Canada was sending a significant amount of booze to us across the lake because they didn't have Prohibition going on at the time. Chicago is kind of overlooked in that way.
1: Well, one of the cool things I learned about was um, at this conference I went to, uh, not related to Chicago, but related to Prohibition, was that uh, there was a... Kind of a not a boom, if you will, but there was a significant growth in Mexico during prohibition. A lot of those breweries that exist kind of sprung up from American brewers going yeah. down to mexico to to brew beer because they couldn't do it in the states.
0: yeah
1: and I was like when I learned that I'm like that makes so much sense like that my mind was just blown because I love that that like history stuff
0: <laughs> I maybe i'm if I remember correctly, Bacardi Rum became popular in part because it was easily transported into Florida, and they, you know, maintained a boom following Prohibition to this day. It's one of the most popular ROMs, but when it first started, it was, here in America, it became popular because of that, too.
1: I also learned that all, the way that all of these big breweries survived prohibition like Anheuser-Busch and Coors and Yingling was that they, uh, since they had all these refrigerated trucks and refrigerated warehouses, they started transporting frozen goods and ice cream and stuff. And Yingling ice cream exists today. <laughs> That's really and, uh, awesome. I can turn out about this history shit. I can turn out about right. when, when see? You, you saw me get passionate about political shit, I can get passionate about this beer shit, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Alright, well, it was lovely having you on, Andres. We appreciate you. Uh, yes, thank any, you so much. Any pluggables? I know you're uh, Beers with Andres at, at on Twitter. Anything else?
1: Yep. I, at Beers with Andres on Twitter, Instagram. Um, I think I changed my, my gamer tag to that. Um, <laughs> if you want to play video games. Um... Good idea for momentum PR if you're looking for uh for any PR freelance work that's uh, something I do I operate mostly in the beer and beverage space but if anyone listening it has any PR needs I'm open to talking about anything else I'm not big enough to start turning people away <laughs> um, <laughs> But, uh yeah, so fermentum PR, and then uh, I mentioned I'm going to be part of a conference uh, that's going to be announced soon. This is actually going to be the – they haven't even officially announced, so I'm going to announce it here on the podcast. So whenever this – this might be after the announcement or before the announcement. But November 11th through the 14th, uh, the Beer Culture Summit um, is going to be a virtual uh Conference that focuses on beer academia, beer history, and just the beer business as a whole. Um, I'll be doing a session, but it's a four day thing. Uh, It's going to be a lot of who's who's of the beer industry around the world. Um, I don't know what the costs and all that stuff are, but uh, yeah, you can pay for a day pass essentially and just tune in and learn about beer. All right.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us.
2: Cool to meet you. Well, thank you for having me.
0: So payray day is a production from Gallium for fun for future,
2: hosted by me, Aaron Johnson,
0: and me, Dylan Shoup. See you again next time.